0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is my traditional essay at this time of year. It's called Best Books of 2017. It's further lectionary of December 31st, 2017, the last day of the year When I have a little money, said the Renaissance humanist and Catholic priest Erasmus, I buy books, and if I have any left, I buy food and clothes. It's that time of year for the most subjective of exercises, my ten favorite books of 2017. Truly, there's no accounting for personal taste. For some reason, as I've noted before, I read comparatively little fiction, although this year I include four novels. I always enjoy reviewing our reviews of the past year. Please note that you can search our Journey with Jesus comprehensive index of 750 book reviews alphabetically by author or by 14 different subject categories like history, art, economics, and so on. And, if you ever get stuck, just use the search button that you'll find in the top right corner of every Journey with Jesus page. If you go to the website, you'll find that the hot link titles will take you to my full book review. And so, what follows, each review ends a little abruptly because I only include the first part of my review. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Reading, in alphabetical order. Sarah Baum, Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither, New York, Haughton Mifflin, Harcourt, 2015, 274 pages. This debut novel by the Irish writer, has won numerous awards for its portrayal of the love between two deeply wounded creatures, a misanthropic recluse named Ray, and his abandoned and abused dog One-Eye, so named for a wound from a badger. What really drives the novel is its delightfully strange narrative device, a 274 page second person soliloquy by Ray to One Eye, in which Ray unburdens himself of his many hurts. Paul Beatty, The Sellout, a novel. New York Picador, 2015, 289 pages. Paul Beatty won the 2016 Man Booker Prize, the first American to do so, for this bombshell of a book that was initially rejected by 18 publishers. His scorched earth satire about race raises question, questions every stereotype and cultural assumption imaginable. It breaks every politically correct boundary that you ever feared transgressing. Nobody gets a free pass here. Not, quote, Condi Lice lying through the gap in her teeth, end quote. Not Dave Edgar's do-gooder condescension. Not gangbangers. Not, quote, stupid, fat, ugly, white Republicans. It's all laugh out loud, hilarious, and deeply serious at the same time. Number three, a book I just read a few weeks ago, Richard Ford, Between Them, Remembering My Parents, New York Echo 2017, 179 pages. In an age when so many memoirs rely upon a narrative of human wreckage, Richard Ford's affectionate memoir about his parents is a blast of fresh air. It's actually two separate pieces that were written 30 years apart. The first one is called Gone, Remembering My Father, and it was written recently, over 50 years after his father died from a second heart attack at the age of 55, when Ford was only 16. The second one is called My Mother, In Memory, It was written soon after she died in 1981. Richard Ford, Between Them, Remembering My Parents. Next, Kate Hennessy. The title, Dorothy Day, The World Will Be Saved by Beauty, An Intimate Portrait of My Grandmother. New York, Scribner, 2017. 372 pages. In the acknowledgments at the end of this book, Kate Hennessy, born in 1960, says that it took her five years to write this family memoir about what she calls her paradoxical grandmother, Dorothy Day, 1897 to 1980. Her many complexities and contradictions, and in particular, the deeply complicated mother-daughter relationship between Dorothy Day and her only child, Tamar. Well, this biography was worth the wait. Next, Stefan Hurtman, War and Turpentine, a novel. New York Pantheon, 2016, 290 pages. A few months before he died in 1981, at the age of 90, 1st Sergeant Major Urban Joseph-Émile Martien, an artist and decorated veteran who served on the front lines in World War I, gave his grandson, the author of this book, Stefan Hertmann, two notebooks. At the age of 72, almost 50 years after the war, Urbain had started to record his experiences of the Great War. He wrote for 17 years, 600 pages of memories. This novel is the result. Hisham Matar, the title, The Return, Fathers, Sons, and the Land in Between. New York Random, 2016, 243 pages. This memoir by the Libyan writer Hisham Matar, born in 1970, begins about seven months after the fall of Tripoli and the Gaddafi dictatorship in August of 2011. In March of 2012, Matar and his wife, Diana, returned to Libya for the first time in 33 years, since his family had left when he was 8 years old. At the age of 15, Matar packed off to boarding school in England, where he lived for the next 29 years. No one at that time expected the grim and chaotic future that awaited Libya not long after. It was a period of patriotic optimism during that Arab Spring. A memoir by Hisham Matar. Another book I w- read quite recently is by Danny Shapiro. I saw this on PBS. It's called Hourglass Time, Memory, Marriage. New York Knopf, 2017, 145 pages. Toward the end of Danny Shapiro's poignant reflections about 20 years of marriage, she recalls a conversation with her aunt who told her that she, quote, once had a terribly difficult period that lasted 24 years. And it was so important to realize that I didn't know what was on the other side of the darkness. Every so often, there was a sliver of light that shot the world through with mystery and wonder and reminded me, I don't have all the information. Danny Shapiro, a memoir about marriage called Hourglass. And then a book on everyone's list, Colson Whitehead. The Underground Railroad, a Novel, New York Doubleday, 2016, 306 pages. The author of this book, Colson Whitehead, has earned a MacArthur grant, a Guggenheim fellowship, and was a Pulitzer Prize finalist for his previous five novels and two works of fiction. This newest book about a runaway slave named Cora was a selection for Oprah's Book Club, has been shortlisted for numerous Book of the Year lists and was nominated for a National Book Award. Colson Whitehead, The Underground Railroad, A Runaway Slave Named Cora. Next, Helen Wilcox, Editor. The title of this book, George Herbert, 100 Poems. Cambridge, Cambridge University Press, 2016, 174 pages. George Herbert, 1593 to 1633, died at the age of 40, almost 400 years ago. As the public orator at Cambridge University, he was, as editor Helen Wilcox notes, one of the most accomplished rhetoricians of his generation. He hailed from an aristocratic family, and yet even today there's a broad consensus among scholars and non-experts alike that he's one of the greatest devotional poets of the English language. Next, and last, David Wood. What have we done? The moral injury of our longest wars. New York Little Brown & Company 2016. This book is 291 pages. There are about 2 million American veterans who have returned home from fighting our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of them come back with horrible physical injuries. Others, we now realize, need help with psychological trauma, like PTSD. But David Wood's book examines a dark truth about war that is largely ignored and rarely addressed, much less treated, that many veterans come home with what he calls moral injuries, or wounds of the soul, that are related to but different from physical and psychological wounds. Our ten best books from 2017, an admittedly subjective exercise, but happy reading anyhow. And my book review for this week is a review of Mary Oliver. The title of the poem, Devotions. The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. New York Penguin, 2017. This massive book is 455 pages. If you are a fan of Mary Oliver's poetry, this might be just the book for you. Ten years ago, in 2007, the New York Times described Mary Oliver as far and away this country's best-selling poet. Among her numerous awards, her collection entitled American Primitive, 1984, won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, while her 1992 volume, New and Selected Poems, won the National Book Award. Oliver is best known as a nature poet, and for her solitary walks near her home in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and for how those walks provided a rich fund of material for her to observe, ponder, and rejoice in the physical creation. My work is loving the world, she writes in the first poem of her book, Messenger. If we still our busy minds and pay attention, the physical creation provokes in us astonishment, joy, and gratitude. Not that Oliver ignores the darkness. Other poems speak of unrequited love, brokenness, darkness, and what she calls the dull, brutish ways of mankind. Born in 1935, Oliver has published about three dozen books of poetry in the last 50 years, and another half-dozen prose works. This new book collects over 200 of her poems from 26 different volumes. It begins with selections from her most recent book, called Felicity, 2015, and ends with her first volume of poetry that was published when she was only 28 years old, No Voyage, back in 1963. Although there is an index of titles and first lines, there is no introduction of any sort to Oliver's life and work, either by an editor or Oliver herself. I guess that awaits a future so-called critical edition of her incomplete works. In the meantime, a massive new volume of poetry, Mary Oliver Devotions, the selected poems of Mary Oliver. For movies this week, I review a film called Joan Didion. The center will not hold. 2017. For more than fifty years, the journalist, novelist, and playwright Joan Didion, born in 1934, has taken the pulse of American culture, describing in her many pieces of social criticism what she understands as its disintegration, moral decline, atomization, and disorder, in one part of this film, she reminds her husband of the loss of her, quote, slight faith in the social contract. Didion's many awards include the National Book Award for Nonfiction for her memoir, The Year of Magical Thinking, 2005, about the death of her husband and fellow author John Dunn from a sudden heart attack, As you would expect, this Netflix original makes extensive use of archival footage and interviews to tell the story of Didion's life and work, from her beginnings in Sacramento, graduation from UC Berkeley, to the literary scene in New York City beginning with her time at Vogue magazine. A special treat in this film are the readings from her works. The director of the movie, Griffin Dunn, is a nephew of Didion. The title of the film is a quotation from William Butler Yeats's poem, The Second Coming, that quote, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. The documentary film concludes in 2013, when President Obama presented her a National Medal of Arts and Humanities. An interesting biographical documentary Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold. And finally, more poetry for Christmas. This poem is by John Betjeman, 1906 to 1984. It's called Christmas, and it contains some of my two or three most favorite lines in all of poetry. The bells of waiting advent ring. The tortoise stove is lit again. In lamp-oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain. In many a stained-glass window sheen from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar font and arch and pew, so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tram cars clang. On lighted tenements I gaze where paper decorations hang. And bunting in the red town hall says Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers. As hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers. And marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember dad, and oafish louts remember mum. And sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say come. Even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester hotel. And is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained-glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies The sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent, and hideous tie so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare, that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine." John Betjeman, Christmas. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For the last Sunday of the year, December 31st, 2017, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.